I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the fourth chapter of Philippians once again. And I want to uh, shine the sermonic spotlight on just one verse out of the verses that Pastor Harris read. And that one verse is verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, the Apostle Paul says meditate or think on these things. And I want to preach part two uh, in a sermon series entitled God Says... Let my people think. Let my people think. Back in the mid-80s, while serving as a chaplain in the United States Air Force, we were assigned to a base up in northern Japan, 450 miles north of Tokyo, uh, called Masawa Air Base, Japan. And I had a chaplain supervisor by the name of Gregory Pellish who enjoyed playing racquetball. And he and I would go to the fitness center to play racquetball. And almost without exception, whenever Chaplain Pellish made a good shot on me, he would look at me with a smirk and say, I told you racquetball is a thinking man's game. Well, more important than racquetball being a thinking man's game, Christianity is a faith for thinkers. No other religion emphasizes thinking like Christianity does. Emotions have their place. Traditions have its place. But Christianity emphasizes thinking, the utilization of our minds. And that's where Paul is. For in the book of Philippians, Paul reveals what the mind of those who trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior should be. He talks about what the Christian mindset should be. Paul informs believers that our attitude, Our mindset, our process of thinking, Paul says, should be the same as Christ Jesus. Want to know how Christians think? We ought to be thinking like Christ. Well, what does it take to have the mind of Christ and to think like Christ? That's a very good question. The answer is in order to have the mind of Christ, we must live life totally devoted to Christ. In order to have a Christ-like mindset, a Christ-like mentality, a Christ-like thinking processes, we must live not half-heartedly, but totally devoted to Jesus Christ. We must be radically, remarkably, reliably, 
committed to living for Jesus in order to think Christ-like thoughts. Well, the Apostle Paul testified concerning the concept of radical, remarkable, and reliable living for Jesus with the words of Philippians 1.21 in which Paul wrote, For me to live is Christ. Did you get that? Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But not only did Paul testify to the concept, and I love this. Not only did Paul testify to the concept for me to live is Christ, Paul exemplified the exemplified the concept to live for Christ. In other words, not only did he testify to the concept of living for Christ, he exemplified the concept of living for Christ. Paul's very being was wrapped up in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For you see, Paul trusted Christ. Paul loved Christ. Paul served Christ. Paul witnessed for Christ. And in every way, Paul was devoted to Christ and depended upon Jesus Christ. If you were to cut Paul, hypothetically speaking, his blood would bleed Christ. He would bleed Christ. Paul's only hope, his only presence, his only reason for living was Christ. He traveled for Christ. He preached for Christ. He planted ministries for Christ. He endured persecutions and hardships for Christ. Ultimately, he would die for Christ, but even in death, by God's amazing grace, was ultimately Paul's eternal gain. Now, if you were to survey a hundred people from varying backgrounds, and if you were to ask them to complete the sentence, for me to live is blank, you complete the sentence, for me to live is blank, you would get a wide range of responses. Just try it. You get a wide range of responses. Because for some people to live is finances. Money is their all-consuming passion. It's all about the money. For others to live is having fame, is notoriety, is recognition. They crave attention, the spotlight, acknowledgement. For some to live is having fun, partying. Balling. Yet for others to live is self. They have a fixation and a fascination and an inflated exaggeration of themselves. So here's a truism based upon these realities life is whoever or whatever we put at the center. It's a far gone conclusion. The evidence is above reproach. The proof is in the pudding. 
Jesus Christ was the center of Paul's life. And as a result, he thought through every decision, every circumstance, every situation, not with a thought, not with thoughts and ideas alienated or aloof from the mind of Christ, but Paul thought and ideas completely aligned with the mind of Christ. Paul made wise decisions. He made prudent choices. He made intelligent selections. And he wanted others to do the same. He believed and taught as Jesus taught in Matthew 22 and 37. You shall, don't miss this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and underscore this and with all your mind. God says, let my people think. So it is with uh, his zeal to help believers develop their thinking, Paul in the text categorizes eight virtues found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. The first virtue on Paul's list is truth. He says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Paul makes it clear that those who genuinely desire to think like Jesus must spend time meditating, contemplating, deliberating on truth, and not waste time and mental energy concentrating on falsehoods. Truth is characteristic of God. Jesus refers to himself as truth. He said in John 14 and 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God's word is the repository of truth. It is the storehouse of truth. In his priestly prayer in John 17, 17, Jesus said to the Father, your word is truth. In Psalm 19 and 9, David said, the judgment of the Lord are true. And in Psalm 119, 151, the psalmist declares, all your commandments are true. If we want to think with the mind of Christ, we must meditate on truth, not lies, not deceptions, not distortions, not rumors, not embellishments. But if we want to think with the mind of Christ, as Paul says, we need to meditate on truth. Second, Paul says, whatever things are noble. Here Paul is encouraging the believers in Jesus um, to to, to use their minds and to use their minds to focus on honorable things, things that are worthy of respect, things that are admirable. Paul admonishes followers of Christ not to waste time thinking on trivial, trite, or trifling matters. Paul says, leave silliness and nonsense behind. 
and meditate on things that are worthy of awe and adoration. I thank God for the noble thinkers of the Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church. Men and women of God who spend time praying about and thinking about how we as a church family can advance the gospel of Jesus Christ locally and around the world. How we can mentor new believers and how we can model Jesus Christ in a sin, sick, sin, suffering, sin, sedated world where senseless killings take place on a regular basis. So as we think, as we think on things that are noble, as we meditate on things that are noble, let the naysayers naysay. Let the critics criticize. Let the haters hate. But let the thinkers think noble thoughts of how God can and will use us in even greater capacities. William Barclay says the word noble really describes that which has the dignity of holiness upon it. There are things in the world which are flippant and cheap, things which are attracted to the light-minded. But it is on the things which are vital and serious and dignified that the Christian will set his or her mind. Third, Paul writes, whatever things are just. The word Paul uses for just is a word that means right. It describes whatever is in perfect harmony with the word, the will, and the ways of God. So if it's not right, By God's standards, Paul says to us as Christians, don't even think about it. If it's not right, don't think about it. If not right, don't dwell on it. You see, Paul obviously knew what Ralph Waldo Emerson said approximately 2,000 years, uh, what what Ralph said approximately 2,000 years later. Emerson wrote, sow a thought, and you reap an action. Sow an action, and you reap a habit. Sow a habit, and you reap a character. Sow a character, and you reap a destiny. Paul says, don't even go there. Rather, meditate on righteousness. Fourth, Paul says, meditate on things that are pure. Paul says, let your thoughts be morally clean, spotless, stainless, chaste, undefiled, free from pollution, free from filth, free from dirt, free from impurities. Paul knew what he was talking about because he had been there. There was a time in his life before he came to know Jesus that his thoughts were everything but pure. His hateful hideous and harmful thinking led him to do all within his power to destroy the fellowship of those who had placed their trust in Jesus. One day while traveling to the city of Damascus, he met Jesus. 
And Acts chapter 9 tells the detailed story of how that meeting changed Paul's thinking and how Paul's thinking changed his life. So it was out of So it was out of his experience that Paul wrote to the Philippians a message that is applicable to the 21st century church. That message says to us, believers should strive to maintain cleanliness of mind and purity of thoughts, not just sometimes, but all the time. Why? Because the mind, is where practice is theorized before it's actualized. Where thoughts are practiced before they are presented. And where behavior is conceived before it is carried out. That's what Solomon, who was the wisest king of Israel, meant when he wrote in Proverbs 23 and 7, for as he thinks in his heart. So is he. In other words, Solomon says, we are what we think. Our behavior, our actions become what we think. Fifth, Paul says, meditate on things that are lovely. In other words, we are to coach our minds and mentor our mentality. To think about things we know are pleasing to God, things that are winsome, things that are kind and gracious, things that display the spiritual beauty of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The believer's thoughts are not to be thoughts of unkindness and meanness and grumbling and murmuring and criticizing and complaint. Rather, the thoughts of the believers ought to focus on building up and not tearing down. That's why Paul says, as a church, you ought to meditate on things that are lovely. If it's not lovely, don't waste your thought on it. Six, Paul continues, whatever things are good report. Paul says that believers ought to spend substantial amounts of time mentally digesting reputable reports, worthy reports, reports that are of the highest faith-based quality. And as a faithful follower of Jesus, we are to fill our minds with good reports. I know we are inundated now with bad reports, but Paul says we are to fill our minds as best we can, with good reports, things that are of high quality. Seventh Paul writes, if there is any virtue, any moral excellence, any uprightness, any kingdom value, any glory to God to be gained from it, we ought to think about it. So Paul says, we ought to think about those things. We ought to meditate on them. We ought to allow, allow those virtuous things to saturate our minds and marinate our mentalities and consume our thought processes. And so here's a question. As you reflect upon your thoughts last week, maybe even last night, 
maybe even while we've been here in church, how many of them had kingdom value? How much of the news we read or watched over and over again had kingdom value? How much of our Facebook and internet consumption and television consumption and the things we listen to on the radio, how much of that poured spiritual worth into our minds from a Christ-like perspective? Just something to think about. Because we are what we eat, mentally and spiritually. How many hours of God's word did we mentally consume into our thought processes last week? How many hours of prayer, Bible study, and worship were credited to our psychological accounts last week? If our minds and pastor's mind included could be projected on screens in this sanctuary or wherever you are, and divided into color-coded sections, characterizing our thoughts over the past week, months, and year, what would our dominant color be? What would my dominant color be? What would our dominant color be as a church family? Would our dominant color be virtue, more excellent, uprightness, would it be kingdom value, or would it be other things, even unmentionable things? God says to us today through the words of Paul, let my people think. Lastly, Paul says in verse 8, if there's anything praiseworthy, he says, meditate on these things. What Paul says here is that if God is doing and has done anything commendable for you, admirable for you, excellent for you, splendid for you, marvelous for you, in you, and through you, or even in spite of you. If God has done great things to you, we ought to meditate, we ought to contemplate, we ought to deliberate, we ought to mentally calculate and mentally appreciate God for who he is and what he does. And that's what Paul is saying. When you stop to think about it, how good God is, how good God has been, when we think about it, it ought to change our attitudes and our behavior. Paul says, saturate your mind with the goodness of God and then praise God for his goodness. 
the challenge for us, as Paul points out in 2 Corinthians 10 and 5, is this. Cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every, don't miss this, thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. 